Good evening. <clears throat> Turn with me, if you would, to First Peter, chapter one. First Peter, chapter one. <clears throat> Several texts we'll be going to this evening. Let's see here, we'll be in Hebrews 11, John 17, and Romans chapter 12 for a moment. Just giving you a fair heads up. First Peter chapter 1. Let us read together, follow along with me if you would, beginning in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, To those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in a fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through a faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials." So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And although you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls." Let's pray. Father, thank you again that we can come here this evening. We can hear your word. We can worship you, O God. And as we just uh, raised our voices and sang, bow the knee. Indeed, we bow the knee to Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, uh, the King of kings, uh, the Lord of lords, the Son of man, the Son of God. The shepherd, the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We look to you this evening. We ask, O God, that you would give us understanding, that you would uh, fire us up for the things of Christ, that the things of this world would grow strangely dim. Give us understanding. Help me uh, to accurately Present your truth this evening for the glory of Christ. In his name we pray, amen. So here we are, 1 Peter chapter 1 once again. Just a few verses uh, for us, really just uh, verse 2, but a brief review of where we have. Now, I don't like getting lengthy reviews of where we have been before, but I just wanted to remind us once again a basic overview of 1 Peter Of course, there is the opening, the introduction, and then we have verse 3 through 12, salvation explained and salvation tested. 
And then we have a salvation and its implication flowing out into chapter 3 all the way to verse 12. And in that, under that, we have individual holiness, a living in reverence, the imperishable seed and longing for the word, and that we are living stones, a chosen race. And then as Peter uh, explains to us in chapter 2, verse 11 through three twelve, holiness in all spheres, in all relationships in our lives. And then recognizing that we are aliens and strangers in this world. And then Christian living, what that looks like in and under human institutions. And then godly living in marriages. And then the summary application of holy living. And then suffering, serving, and bringing glory to God in chapter 3 through chapter 5. And then, of course, we have the conclusion. So just, again, a brief overview. And we will see much in uh, 1 Peter. There's much on persecution. There's much on suffering. We will study and see that there is protection in suffering, protection by God in suffering. There is perseverance in suffering. There is patience under suffering in which we must have. And then there is the preparation for suffering. And then the pursuit of God in suffering. The providence of God while suffering and the persistence during suffering. So again, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those scattered throughout who reside as aliens. Now we understand it does not mean Uh, aliens, UFOs from another planet. He has something else in mind here, as we will see. But he writes to uh, several churches, not just to an individual church. Churches in the area of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, an area of about 300,000 miles. The order of these areas, uh, hand delivery from one place to the next, as the letter would go forth, As the messenger may have come to shore by boat, landed on Pontus, a smaller northern part on the southeastern side of the Black Sea. At least one scholar suggests that Pontus was visited first because the persecution there was the most intense. So the letter written to believers in these areas, to churches in these areas, and Peter is clear who these people are, who are chosen. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, this isn't people that Peter says, hey, I want to choose to write to these folks. I choose you, and I'm going to write to you. No, these are believers chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. These elect exiles, those of the dispersion. Elect pilgrims or strangers. Chosen by God. As pointed out before, the readers here were primarily Gentiles. But we also find in the Old Testament, in numerous places, uh, that those chosen by God refers to Israel. We see it in numerous places. We put two and two together here, and we see, well, Peter is saying those chosen, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, we could agree with Tom Schreiner. That Peter indicates at the outset, right out of the box, 
The church of Jesus Christ is the Israel of God, his chosen people. He forecasts here the theme of 1 Peter 2.9, where the church is called a chosen people, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now, where else do we see this, uh, this thought, this continuation of Israel? Well, we find it in Romans chapter 11. We find it in Ephesians chapter 2. We can just glance there. This is not uh, our study for this evening, but just so we could see it for ourselves, let's, let's look at it briefly. Romans chapter 11. Let me find the verse uh, that I want to go to here. <clears throat> Um, let's see here. Paul speaking in verse 17, speaking of the branches that were broken off. But if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you, the arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. But you will say, then branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right, they were broken off for the unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold, then, the kindness and severity of God to those who fell. Severity, but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you will cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree. Now go to Ephesians chapter 2 briefly. Ephesians chapter 2. Just so we can see this here. Chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. And he preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. And we'll just stop there because I could keep going. But he calls them, Peter does, who are chosen, elect, scattered throughout all of these areas, all over these areas listed, 
The term can be used as of the dispersion. Dispersion was a term used again in the Old Testament of Jews scattered throughout. But here in Peter, more of a metaphorical use as he writes primarily to Gentiles, although they were indeed in many places. Strangers, aliens, sojourners, exiles, pilgrims. We can use all of those terms. Let's use exiles. Why? Well, two other places where the word is used. In Hebrews 11.13, I'll just read it for you. These, the men of old, speaking of verse 2 in chapter 11 of Hebrews, These died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And also we find here in our book this evening, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you, he says, as aliens and strangers, to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. So right out of the gate again, the thought is that Christians are aliens, strangers, exiles in this world. We are elect sojourners, citizens of heaven, yet pilgrims on this earth. This fact sets the theme for this epistle. As God's chosen people, we are strangers in a fallen world. Doriani suggests, The word stranger or exile denotes a temporary resident, a traveler. The term alien in chapter 2, verse 11 is similar, but suggests a long-term resident. Both terms signify that the person originally belonged elsewhere. We as exiles live temporarily in this world. In some ways, we live in, in two worlds. There is the here and now. We live life now, we follow Jesus Christ, and we're here, present, on this world. And then tomorrow, unless we take our last breath tonight at some point, we will go in tomorrow and we will walk in this world. We will live in this world. But then there is eternity in our heavenly home. Paul had something to say on this in Philippians. I didn't tell you that that was going to be one of the books, but... Let's go there. Philippians in chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. You know the text. You're familiar with it. I may have referenced it recently. And when I think of this text, I think of a memorial service, a homegoing service, as it's called down in the south for a believer of this text, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Think of that. Is that, is that our, is that our uh, terminology? For me to live now is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose, Paul says. But I am hard-pressed from both directions having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And for us, it is necessary that we're here for one another, for each other's sake. We may not always like it. We may not always uh, be feeling so warm towards one another as sinners, redeemed sinners, but we're here for a reason. 
Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for all of your progress and joy in the faith. And he continues on. But Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he grapples with to be here still or to be with Christ is, is much better. And in Philippians 3.20, I'll read it for you. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly Wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. When someone says, what, well, where are you a citizen of? Or what's your citizenship all about? Well, my citizenship is in heaven. I'm an American citizen, but my citizenship is, is in heaven. That's where I'm going. And in Hebrews chapter 11, <clears throat> once again, in verse 13, Verse through 16, all of these died in faith without receiving the promises. I referenced this, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things, make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. As we heard, Lindsay and I heard a couple of days ago, yesterday, uh, the announcer when we were at this air show saying how uh, we live in the greatest country on this earth. But here we see they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. What a, what a better place. But we're here now for a reason. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them, for believers. So we continue to live away from our true homeland, exiles in a way, strangers in this world. I remember a song that uh, when I first got converted, years the first few years, I, it was Mercy Me was the popular uh, Christian band to listen to. And they had a song um, about being homesick. And I don't know all the lyrics, but I know when I heard that song, it reminded me that of being homesick for heaven, that heaven awaits for believers. So what do we do? Well, we live in the world, but we're not to be of the world. We remember what Jesus says in John 17, as Jesus prays in John 17. Remember, in verse 13. But now I come to you in these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made in full in themselves. This high priestly prayer. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Brothers and sisters, this applies to us as well. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world, says the Lord. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
as you sent me into the world, I also, says Jesus, have sent them into the world. So we are here sent as well as this applies to us into this world. We live in the world, but we know we're not to be of the world. Jesus, the light of the world, he calls his followers, us, the light of the world. Lights in this dark world. We remain because we are lights in this dark world. We are salt of the earth, as Matthew 5.13 says. We don't ignore the culture. We are to engage the culture. How so? Many different ways. And there's ways coming up in September and November to which, where we get to engage the culture in a way and then leave the results up to the Lord. We engage the culture. We engage in evangelism as well, day in, day out. We engage the culture by holy living. We live holy before the Lord's set apart. That's how we are to live in this culture who lives contrary to that. The civil process as well that the Lord allows us to, to be a light in, to engage in. And we are to live in a way that rebukes the world's ways. The world's ways are completely contrary to God's ways. So we know we're not to be, we are to remain living in the world, not to be like the world, secondly, not to be like the world. We are not of the world. Because we are not of the world, we are not to love the things of the world. A text, once again, from 1 John, in chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love the world, Christian, nor the things of in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And here it is. This is familiar to us. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever chosen by God as first Peter says chosen to live a certain way chosen out of the world yet to remain in the world we are as Christians to reject the world not to reject the people of the world but to reject the world's system the world's ways actively rejecting its message and its message to us as Christians will not uh, be snuffed out. It will continue as the world will double down. The world will triple down on its message towards us. And we must be steadfast. As Washer says, to denounce friendship with the flesh and declare war against it without any intention of truth. So we must be serious about holy living. We must be serious about killing sin in our lives. Declaring war, as Washer says, with the flesh. With no intention of a truce. Our own flesh. As we live for the Lord. The world lies in the power of the evil one. 1 John 5, 19. We remain here in the world to be unlike the world, 
in order to rescue lost sinners out of the world and to worship God while we live in this world. To become more like the world is to become more like the God, lowercase g, of this world. We must resist conforming to the ways of this world, the pattern of this age. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the daily renewal of your mind. We are also sanctified while living in this world, as Jesus says. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We may be strangers in this world, but we have the word of God as we are in this world. We have the local church. We have each other. And we have the Holy Spirit of God to which we cry out, Abba, Father. So why Are we aliens in this world or strangers in this world? Why are Christians strangers in this world? Well, Peter tells us because we are elect, because we are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled by his blood. That's why we are strangers in this world. Chosen, elect, An adjective with three prepositional phrases in verse 2. Elect, according to, by the, and to obey. We are strangers because we do not belong to this world. Foreknowledge. What does it mean? Well, does it mean only that God foresaw whom would be the elect? Well, certainly God knew beforehand. God is omniscient. God does not learn anything. Alan Carnes, in his Dictionary of Theological Terms, says this about foreknowledge. In Scripture, the word foreknowledge is used also in a much narrower context. According to Romans 8.29, God foreknows people, not merely the events surrounding them. When Scripture uses the verb know of people, it conveys the idea of God's loving purpose. It refers to His eternal decree. 1 Peter 1-2 places election on the ground of foreknowledge, and verse 20 shows that foreknown means foredecreed. And Acts 2-23, as he continues, defines foreknowledge as God's determinate counsel. Thus, election proceeds not upon foreseen faith, but upon the decree of God, he says. We see it also in Romans chapter 11, verse 2. Those rejected and foreknown serve as antonyms there. And then in Acts 2, 23 as well. And Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Again, why are we strangers in this world? Because we are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Steve Lawson says, Foreknowledge does not simply mean that God looked down the tunnel of time to see what would happen in the future. Some in the church teach that God looked ahead to see who would receive him. 
According to this lame explanation, he says, I'd agree, God chose those he foresaw choosing Christ. Thus, God's will is really man's will. But this view does severe injustice to the biblical doctrine of foreknowledge, which means to love beforehand. We keep in mind that the foreknowledge of God is couched in God's covenant love. 1 Peter 1.20, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. He, Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. I agree with Schreiner on this. Peter was not merely saying that God foresaw when Christ would come, also that God foreordained when Christ would come. Christ's coming hardly depends on human choices, he said. So verse 1, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. We see the emphasis on the sovereignty of God and salvation. God has set his love on the elect. And as I remind us Wednesday night, and I'm just going to read this text, that we continue to go back to Romans 8, 28 through 30. I'm just going to read 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom He predestined, He also called. These whom He called, He also justified. These whom He justified, He also glorified. So why are we strangers in this world? Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit or through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Usually when we think of sanctification, we think of the believer's life as we go through life and we are sanctified in the process of sanctification. Progressive sanctification, as it's called. As in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. It seems, however, here in this context that the focus is on positional sanctification or, or conversion. When one is born again, they are sanctified. They are set apart for holy use. I think that's what Peter is meaning here by the sanctifying work or the regenerating work of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 1-2, To the church of God, Paul writes, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified or set apart in Christ Jesus. And then he says again, saints, so he renames who they are, saints by calling. The focus here being the Spirit's work in the application of redemption. Also, To obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Why are we strangers in this world? Because we are to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. This goes back to Exodus 24, verse 3 through 7. We'll just read it. It's an interesting text for us this evening. I'll read it for us. Chapter 24, verse 3 through 7. Moses This people affirming their covenant with God. Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. And the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. There's obedience here, they're saying. 
Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he rose, arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. That's the text. In, from Exodus 24. Some translate this. Um, we are elect because of the obedience of Jesus Christ, uh, referring to the passive and active obedience of Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. But a better translation is uh, obedience in obeying Jesus Christ, as in Romans chapter Uh, 1 verse 6, the obedience of faith, or chapter 16 verse 26, again, a.k.a., a.k.a., also known as conversion. So those who uh, are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, those who are, uh, who will be, who are converted by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, those who will be converted, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, those who will be converted. Obeying Jesus' command to repent and believe, being sprinkled with his blood. Sanctifying work of the Spirit, obeying Jesus Christ, sprinkled with his blood, all describing conversion. We find the Trinity, the three members of the Godhead active in salvation here. The foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled by His blood. So when we say, when people say, wow, Christians, they're just so different from the world. We see why. We see why. I think we just got transferred back down to Florida and we didn't know it because it got warm real quick. At least it is up here. I see fans going. So we'll finish with this. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. He says that in verse 2. So may grace and peace be multiplied. Excuse me. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. You have been chosen by the Father, sanctified by the Spirit, sprinkled by the blood of Christ. Grace begins this letter, and in 1 Peter 5, 12, towards the end, Peter speaks of grace again, this grace into which we stand. So we have this sandwiched here, Peter speaking of grace at the beginning, God's grace at the end, sandwiched here, where we have all in there, suffering and persecution, trials and tribulations. He says grace and peace, the peace of knowing God. The peace of having peace with God. Peace in suffering, which Peter writes much about. Okay, so here we are when we're just getting started in 1 Peter. 
We just got the introduction out of the way, and we're going in full bore, Lord willing, next time into verse 3. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word is clear. You call believers chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, our God, the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Thank you for your grace that you shower upon us and peace that you give us. And we know there's times in our lives where we don't feel peaceful, we're not living peaceful. At times when we're struggling with this or that, Lord, but we have peace with you. We're no longer at enmity with you because of what you have done and because of who you are. You no longer call us enemies. You call us friends. You call us your children. You call us the elect. God, as we continue on in this world, strangers in many ways, yet you make us feel at home so much by giving us the church, giving us your word, giving us one another, giving us prayer, giving us the ordinances of the church, baptism and communion, the Lord's table. God, you've blessed us so much. You give us the teaching and preaching of your word to where we may understand. And then further on from that, God, you, you give us the technology to where we can listen to sermons on virtually any subject that we need help in, any struggle, whether it be anger or lust or coveting. You have given us so much, Lord, and we thank you. Help us to redeem the time this upcoming week, Lord. Help us to live for you, to walk worthy of the calling for which we have been called, for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord, into whom we bow the knee to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.